You guys feel good? Hey, we are here to celebrate one event that has in every way imaginable changed history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, amen? Hey, you happy to be alive? Then let's do this. Make some noise for the amazing women joining us from our God Behind Bars campus. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you so much. Make some noise for the legends in the lobby right now who don't even have seats for today. And stay standing just for a moment as we read Matthew 28, one through seven. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, it's a very popular name, and Jesus' mom. And these two Marys, they went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And then here it is, he is not here, he has risen, amen, amen. And then my favorite part, just to a tag on to that, by the way, just as he said, he would. So he called his shot and then nothing but net. He is not here, he has risen just as he said. So you might not be where you wanna be in life yet, but because of Easter, you're not where you deserve to be. And because of Easter, GBB, ladies, listen to me, past mistakes because of the resurrection of Jesus, past mistakes now become powerful testimonies. Mourning turns into dancing. Regrets turn into wisdom. And not sure who needs to hear this, but apparent endings become brand new beginnings. All because 2000 years ago, Jesus was murdered on a cross and buried in a tomb, but did not stay there. He has risen just as he said. And this Easter message is called, live saved, live called, live free. Live saved, live called, live free. Because of Easter, you get to live saved, you get to live called, you get to live free. And with everything I got in me, I'm gonna preach this message with the kind of urgency as if this could be the last message I ever preach or the last message you ever hear. Because I know heaven is real and so is hell. And how precious must your soul be if both God and the devil want it that bad? That this is not a game, this is the realest, most significant, important thing there is. And so live saved, live called and live free. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You are the hope of the world. Today we honor you. Open our ears to hear the greatest news ever. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Give away a high five, take a seat, or a wink and a gun to somebody. By the way, my name is Doug Weckenman. I'm one of the pastors here. It's very nice to meet you. Thanks for being here today. I know there's a lot of amazing churches in the Austin area, and so we're very honored that you would join us. Uh, I wanna start this with a story that I think you're gonna quite enjoy. A few years ago, I almost died. That's, uh, that's called getting the audience's attention, okay? I almost died a few years ago at Bondi Beach in Sydney, Australia. And at Bondi Beach, they are famous for, it's famous for its big waves and its riptides. Some of you are doing the math right now, you already know where this is going. And because of the riptides, you're supposed to swim in between the flags the lifeguards set up on the beach. But for whatever reason, I don't know, I was thinking, you know what, I'm a young man. <laughs> and the part of your brain that tells you not to do dangerous and stupid things, and in males it doesn't fully get developed until you're like in your late 30s, and I didn't have that yet. And I said, I'm gonna enjoy this. This is called freedom. And besides, back home at the time, I'm a part-time lifeguard, okay? How hard can this be? 
Guarding lives isn't just what I do, it's who I am. And I can swim outside the flags if I want to. And so I told my roommate, Dan, I said, Dan, let's just go swimming in the big waves outside the flags. And he agreed, and we did. And 30 seconds later is when things started to get bad. And we realized we were caught in a riptide that was dragging us out to sea. And I guess the first point of this message that has nothing to do with the gospel, but it is very important, is if you ever find yourself caught in a riptide, do not fight the ocean because the ocean will win and you will lose, and sometimes that means you die, okay? Just gently float with the riptide, don't panic, because eventually, even if it pulls you out to sea, it will let you go, then you can swim around the riptide and back into the beach. I didn't know that, and some of you are mad right now, like why are we using precious minutes on Easter Sunday of all weekends to talk about riptides? But I would have killed for that information 10 years ago, okay? So I might be saving one person's life, it's worth it if it's for one person in here today. So there I am, caught in a riptide called Backpacker's Rip. And they name it that because every year it claims the lives of tough guy, arrogant backpackers who think they're stronger and smarter than the ocean because back home, they happen to be part-time lifeguards at a pool where the deep end is five feet, all right? So this is me, and I'm not sure if you've ever had that moment where you truly think, like, I think this is it, but I really thought, I think this is it. And as the rip is pulling me under and the, the crashing waves are dragging me over to the, the rocky cliffs and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of just struggling, trying to get every little bit of oxygen into my lungs that I can, what I think is the light and Jesus Christ coming on the clouds of heaven to get me was actually the sun and a lifeguard by the name of Chapo coming over the waves of hell on a rescue board to get me. Chapo sees me. He grabs me out of the ocean and, and lifts me onto the rescue board. We try to fight the rip together. Even together, it's too strong for us. So he decides to drop me off over on the rocky cliffs that make up the side of Bondi Beach. And I, I climb out of the ocean, a saved man. I stand in front of you today, church. And my, my savior is Jesus. My hero is Chapo, all right? A cool tan Australian lifeguard by the name of Chapo. Chapo, wherever you are, I dedicate this sermon to you. <laughs> Let's hope it's a good one, you know? And as I'm walking back to the beach, I notice a few things. The first is a crowd that has gathered on the beach just clapping and cheering for me. And the second is a camera crew who filmed the entire thing waiting to interview me and Dan. And I realized in that moment, that moment's when I found out about a reality Baywatch television show called Bondi Rescue that is very popular in Australia, famous in Europe, and is now even catching steam on Netflix. And long story short, two weeks later, I am featured on Bondi Rescue as the stupid American tourist who was too cocky for the flags on the beach and had to get rescued from the ocean because he thought he was stronger and he lost. Not really repping us very well in the land down under, guys. And then some of you are giving me that look like you're a preacher, y'all exaggerate everything. All right, watch this. H and Chapo race to South Bondi where two swimmers are being swept out in a rip. Two of them right at the back. With every second, they are dragged further out. H and Chapo use the rip as an express route out to the swimmers. Hey, get on behind me. Collecting the two men is one thing. The challenge is getting them safely to shore. <laughs> Chapo still makes no headway against the rip. Chapo 
might be losing ground, but H's unorthodox manoeuvre looks alarmingly dangerous. Then, like magic, the swimmer is delivered to safety. As Chapo struggles, the old sea dog takes command. All the way from Colorado, Daniel and Doug didn't expect to be rock climbing at Bondi. All right. You all right? Yeah, man, thank you. Highly unorthodox, but highly effective. And I don't know where he was, but I couldn't get up. I'm glad he came and got me. Really like, am. if you guys want a ride, we'll give you a ride. If not, we're, we're leaving you here. So I was like, I'll take a ride in. I'm glad they got me. <laughs> me too. Thank you. Thank you for clapping for what my mother hates more than anything. Mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> Literally at the airport, that was my first week into studying abroad in Sydney. The one promise I made her at the airport was I'll be safe, I swear, one week in. I'm not proud of that. I'm a little proud of that, all right? <laughs> and now's when I have to make the transition back to spiritual stuff, okay? But to me, that story truly has become a perfect picture of what the gospel is. Because just like me, on that afternoon in the land down under, all of us at every moment are desperately in need of a savior. And it's important that we feel the weight of the bad news so that the good news becomes amplified. The more you know you need a savior, the more glory Jesus gets, that Jesus is the greater chapo, okay? All of us are in need of a savior, and I'll prove it to you. Let's go to Romans 3.23. For all of us have sinned. This just sort of lays it out. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, that's offensive to say in our day and age. I don't know why. Honestly, to me, sin is the most obvious thing in the world because I know myself and I watch the news. But in 2023, it's not a very trendy thing to talk about. And I think the reason is just like scripture says in John chapter three, the darkness hates the light because light shows what's really there. I don't know if you've ever, parents and, and babysitters, I don't know if you've ever put little kids to bed and then you put on an R-rated movie in the living room only like to have about an hour later, one of your kids get out of bed, come down the stairs into the living room during like a violent murder scene with an F-bomb. Okay, just me? You're looking at me like, no, thanks. Um, it is an interesting feeling. Like I was completely okay with this movie until innocence walked into the room and it revealed something to me. Holiness exposes everything that's not. Light reveals the darkness that our eyes have become adjusted to. And the undercurrent of our culture that right now hates the light and wants to pretend, no, 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 you can be your own savior. The undercurrent of our culture is preaching to us that what you actually need to be saved from is this idea that you need to be saved in the first place. That that's archaic and outdated. You don't need a savior. You can be your own savior. Salvation is within you. Religion is dead. Who needs God? Which I feel like I could just debunk so fast by asking one question. How's that working for us? The more I look around and just observe, the more I go, it, it sure seems like, Everybody needs God really bad. And the more, we, the more we try this without him, the more of a mess we make because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. That sin is what we all have in common, you guys. The need for a hero, 
Sin levels the playing field. Sin is the great equalizer. And you, you're not a sinner because you happen to sin. You sin because you are a sinner. I know that's not popular to say. It's not who you are. It's not your identity, but it is your infection and it's mine too. I have this thing within me called, called sin and something has to be done about it. Happy Easter. You're thinking, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging. I'm standing in the lobby and this isn't even encouraging for me. You need to feel the weight of reality. You see the stage that's being set for a hero to enter the scene? Ephesians 2, 1, it says it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead people don't need a new self-help book. They need life. Drowning people don't need to swim harder. You see a drowning person, just swim harder. No, 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 drowning people need a lifeguard. They need a hero. You know what religion is? Religion is people swimming harder to try to get to God. That's what religion is. Thinking if I could just swim harder, if I could just be a little bit more good than bad, be a good enough person, then I will tip these divine scales in my direction and I will earn the forgiveness I need to go to heaven forever as if God grades on a curve and we think if I, could, uh, if I could be a little bit more good, like if God grades on a curve and you look around and you go, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not divorced like my sister or a drug addict like my cousin. And these are the silly religious games we play. So, so God's gonna let you into heaven because like, you don't party as hard as your other friends? Because you don't litter? Because you donate to nonprofits? because you're kind, because you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, you, you, you go to church, your parents went to church, you're a good person. Hey, I'll give that to you. You're a good person. I think you're a great person. But what are we talking about here? A holy God, by definition, cannot exist where there is a drop of sin, which means to spend forever with him in heaven you need perfection or you're not getting in. You need another way. You need to bat a thousand or forget about it because a holy God cannot exist where there's even a tiny bit of sin. And we think by being a better person, I can somehow, it's, it's kind of like when my, my, my dog Luna, when she was a puppy, I, I, I'd take her for walks and she would see commercial jets flying over at 35,000 feet and she would like jump to try to get them. And I look at her and think, you really think you almost just got that? <laughs> really thinks that? You really think by trying harder to be gooder that you are anywhere close to the perfection needed to spend eternity with the holy God? I mean, Michael Phelps is a good swimmer. I'm talking about spanning the Pacific Ocean here when even Mother Teresa on her best day doesn't come close. And if she was in this room, she'd be the first person to amen that. Because the more you know that, the more glory the hero gets. Sin is the bad news that makes Easter the good news, that we have a God who came to rescue us on a celestial surfboard, so to speak. This is the gospel, that he came, God sent Jesus who lived a perfect life to perfectly pay the price for every imperfect person who confesses him as, as Lord and Savior, that's it. 
that God did not come to punish the sinner, he came to punish sin. But since you and me, we are carriers of sin, something had to be done and it was. 2,000 years ago, God would crush his current son, Jesus, on a cross. So one day in the future, God could lift up his future son, Doug. That God the Father would treat Jesus how you deserve. So for the rest of forever, God could treat you how Jesus deserves. This is the great exchange. It's scandalous to even say out loud. It's unthinkable, and that's what makes it the most amazing message in the world, that we now have a way to heaven. And it's not by religion, it's by a person, and his name is Jesus. John 14, six, Jesus answered. Think about how bold this claim is. This is Jesus. I am, you know, we all, we live in a day and age where people are like, I, I, like, give me, I like this Jesus guy. Not everything he said, just some of the stuff. Here we go. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Said another way in John 10, verse nine, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the door. That because of Easter, we get to live saved. That because of Easter, Jesus is the divine lifeguard who dragged and pulled you out of a, a riptide called sin. Jesus came to be the bridge for you to get to God. Jesus is the one and only door into the kingdom of heaven. Now, how many of you are thinking Monsters Inc. right now, just looking at this? I shouldn't have said that. Now you're not gonna unsee it. A lot of conversations recently, for whatever reason, the word exclusive keeps coming up when people describe Christianity, exclusive. And I just wanted to unpack that for a second. Um, you ever been rejected at the door to a nightclub? I had, this literally happened to me at the uh, Omnia nightclub at Caesars Palace Hotel and Casino in Vegas. I think I was there on a mission trip or something like that. And, um, <laughs> At a nightclub, you get, you get let in or rejected based on your status, based on who you're with and how you look and what you're worth. That is exclusive. And by the way, it is the exact opposite of the kingdom of heaven. The church, after all, is not a country club for everybody who has it all together. It's a hospital for those who know they don't. John 3, 16, you know this verse, but let's put it up there and read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, what's that word? Whoever. Is there a less exclusive word in the English language? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So hear me, Jesus being the one and only son of the one and only God and the one and only door to heaven is not exclusive because everybody's on the list and everyone's invited. Gave his son for whoever. It's not exclusive, it's specific. But do not Mix those two. And I know God does not need me to be his defense attorney. He doesn't need me to stand up for him and have his back, but I just kind of feel like having his back when it comes to this. And make sure we're all using the same dictionary here. That this is not exclusive, this is specific. So imagine, just use your imaginations, imagine this scene. Imagine there is 
There's God and humanity, but then sin entered the world and sin separated humanity from God. and, And there's this literal canyon called sin in between us and God. In the story of Easter, Jesus gave his life to become the bridge. That Jesus is the one and only bridge, right? Jesus made a way when there wasn't one. Now also imagine standing over here, seeing this one bridge and thinking, can't believe there's only one bridge, God. This is so exclusive. And I think, wait, wait, do you know what that means? How many bridges do you need to cross a canyon? Just one. The point is there is a bridge and there didn't have to be. Exclusive, I I go, do do you have any idea how expensive that bridge was to build? Do you have any idea that bridge? Do you have any idea what that cost God? The point is that there is one and there didn't have to be. So Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, the life, the door, the bridge. I'll put that in 2023 language. It means one, not all. One road leads to heaven. And that's not exclusive. That's specific. So before we shake our fists at heaven and go, just want, guys, there shouldn't be any roads to heaven. We understand that, right? It's not like there were eight and then God dwindled it down to one because Jesus just wanted to be the only guy. There were no roads. And then Jesus made a way when there was no way. By the grace of God, we now have a bridge. We now have a way to God. And and, and unlike every other religion, it is not based on your performance motivated by fear. It's based on the performance of God motivated by love for you. You're on the list and the only cover charge is your confession. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. God gave his one and only son for whoever. We have a God who leaves the 99 to find the one. That's the heart of the Father. Wants everyone to be saved. You can go read about it. That much like a divine Danny Tanner, he wants his house full. He wants a full house. Go read Luke 15 later, so much so that he throws a party every time one of his kids comes home and walks through this door. That's the heart of our God. And if that's true, and if Jesus is the one and only way to the one and only God, then for as long as Red Rocks has a heartbeat as imperfect people pursuing this perfect God, then unapologetically our front doors will swing as wide as possible so that as many people as possible can hear the greatest news ever they never thought could be possible for them. Like a city on a hill that will shine like a lighthouse to say, you have any idea how loved you are by this God? Because from the beggar to the king and from the famous to the faceless of every culture, every nation, every race, every generation, every zip code, everybody needs a savior, amen? He is the way the truth, the life, the door. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. That, by the way, is the truth claim of Christianity. Everybody has a truth claim. Every religion makes a truth claim. Jesus is the only truth claim that showed up dressed in grace. That's like why I trust it. C.S. Lewis says that's why he became a Christian, because this story, not of a people after God, but of a God after his people who did the unthinkable to be with us? Like no human brain would would devise that story if you're trying to create the next major world religion. 
That is scandalous and unthinkable in every way. That's why I trust it. And so if clarity is kindness, and I feel just this urgency in me, like if this is the last message I preach or the last message you ever hear, everything that you need to need to need to need to know that I just gotta get to you, if you don't go to heaven, it will not be because you're not on a list or you're not invited or you're not good enough as if any of us are for God. It'll be because you chose to walk past this door time and time again instead of through it. You are so loved by a God who built the most expensive door by paying the ultimate price and the sacrifice of his son. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Have you ever noticed that even the name Jesus, saying it out loud, Jesus Christ, that elicits a response? Not just spiritually, but physically as well. Some people hate it, some people love it. Nobody's neutral. Even, think about that. Even saying the name Jesus Christ elicits a response. I have, I'm 34, I have never seen somebody accidentally hit their thumb with a hammer and go, ah, Buddha! <laughs> what the heck, universe? The frickin' stars. And on my birthday month! <laughs> it's because deep down, we know those things aren't listening. Those things can't hear you, but Jesus can, and you know it. That's why you will cuss in his name when you're upset. That's why you will pray in his name when you're desperate. It's why you will praise his name when you're grateful. He is history's most familiar figure. You, you do need faith to believe he is the son of God. You don't need faith to see his influence and his legacy swept across history like the tail of a comet. It's everywhere, you just need to look. And sometimes just looking at that influence builds your faith in who you believe he really is. That 2,000 years ago, they tried to kill him. And even to this day, millions of people still try to forget him. But Jesus is the man who will not go away. <laughs> He's the man who can't be moved. He is history's most familiar figure. Think about this. Billions of people won't gather in rooms just like this all over the world this weekend to worship dead good guys. To worship to worship ancient homeboys who had some good stuff to say back in the day. They do that for the king of kings alone. The torch of his influence has followed him out of his borrowed tomb, was passed on to 500 eyewitnesses who started the church, which since then has become an unstoppable wildfire and laughs in the face of persecution. It's like the blood of Christians is seed for the church. Persecution just seems to, to fuel it. You ever watch a boat pass? It leaves a wake, and that wake, as time goes by, just gets gradually smaller and smaller and smaller. That's true for the impact and influence of every person, except one. It's like the boat passed, and then the wake, over the years, over the centuries, just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's one word to describe that, and it's supernatural. Think about this. The Roman Empire flexed its muscles, flexed its power by crucifying people. Jesus laid down his power by being crucified. Fast forward 2,000 years and today, Jesus is more alive than he's ever been. He is the amazing grace that just allowed you to take that breath. And if you wanna learn about the Roman Empire, you can go to Wikipedia. Think about this, this has always been true that leaders, rulers have always like named cities after themselves in order to try to immortalize their legacies. 
So Caesar named Caesarea, Alexander the Great named Alexandria. Fast forward 2,000 years, and what do we have named after Caesar? A pizza place and a casino with an overrated nightclub, and that's it. Caesar is now your salad. You guys, Jesus didn't have a home, didn't have an address, let alone name a city after himself or build a statue of himself or force, he forced not a single soul to follow him. Yet today, cities all over the world are named after his followers. So San Francisco is named after a man named St. Francis who followed Jesus. Sacramento got its name because Jesus had one last dinner with his buddies that came to be called the Last Supper that later came to be known as a sacrament. Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston, followers of Jesus, San Diego, named after St. Juan Diego, who followed Jesus. John Orberg would say it this way, you can't look at a map without being reminded of Jesus. And I'll take it a step further. You can't look at, a, at, at the calendar, the Gregorian BCAD calendar that we all use. We are recording history based on the life of a man who divided time itself in half. And every tyrant and every dictator who has ever or will ever live will have no say in the matter but to have their birthdays, their reigns, and their deaths measured and recorded in history based on a, a, a baby fugitive named Jesus who was born poor in a cave with zero platform or prominence. That's called supernatural. He is the hinge of history, and every nation and every religion is telling time based on his life. There is more historical evidence for his resurrection than there is for the existence of Abraham Lincoln. He is the door by which you might be saved. You could say it this way, his crucifixion, his death on Friday made a way for our sins to be forgiven, that he is the one and only way to God. I get to live saved through Jesus. But not just that, that'd be good enough. He is also the door through his resurrection by which we might get to live called. And that's where you realize, okay, I'm, I'm living saved. I'm going to heaven forever one day. I know that I'm forgiven. This is when you realize the difference between living saved and living called. That I'll say it this way, you guys, you are so much more than just forgiven. And I'm not downplaying forgiveness. It is the most precious gift given to you by the most epic sacrifice the world shall ever know. I'm just saying it's the starting line, not the finish line. Salvation is the, living saved is the starting line. Then you realize I'm made on purpose for a purpose. I'm not just saved, I'm called and my life matters. And uh, there's a story that I'm caught up in, the story that God is writing, the greatest story of all time, and I have a place within it, and you get that, and it doesn't just click in your brain, but it starts to take root in your heart, and you start to live different, you start to live called because of it. John 10, nine, once again, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then I just saw this part this last week. They will come in, and they will go out and find pasture. The disciples, right after the resurrection of Jesus, we read about this um, in John chapter 20, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So you just, you imagine that scene for a second. So these guys are, you know, they spent three years with Jesus as their rabbi 
and they watch Jesus perform miracles, walk on water, multiply food, and they, they remember hearing, okay, I think you said something about coming back to Jerusalem and being arrested and crucified. He was gonna die, but then three days later, he was gonna rise again and conquer the grave. And, and remember, Mary and Mary were the first ones at the tomb, and they delivered. They were the very first messengers of the greatest news ever to the disciples who would go on to start the church. But on this Monday, they are locked behind closed doors because of shame and fear. And I don't know if you caught it, when we read it, Jesus walked through the wall. I wanted, you to see, I wanted to see if you'd just get that. It says the door is locked and then Jesus came in. They're in a locked room and then they see Jesus. They go, ah! He goes, I know, peace be with you. Check it out. <laughs> Jesus, okay. But you know, they also abandoned their Messiah at the time he needed them most. Shame. I think these guys knew um, we're saved. This Jesus guy is pretty forgiving. I heard that 70 times seven thing he talked about. Like, I know I'm going to heaven forever one day, but he can't use me. He, I'm not, it can't be used to build the church. And shame will always tell you to hide. For some of you, you hardly ever come around church um, because shame is telling you to hide from here. Or you, you, you won't take that next step and, or volunteer or serve and, because shame is telling you you're not worthy to help build the most unstoppable force in history. As if any of us are. Shame will always tell you to hide. Hide behind that pill bottle, that orange bottle you, you, you know too well. Hide behind that beer bottle. Hide behind that profile. Hide, hide at your career. Just crush your job because you, you'll, you'll never be the husband or wife or mom or dad that you wanna be. So just shame. If they only knew that abortion from four years ago, this addiction that I still have, that I can't shake, that is shame will bully you until death. That's where we get the phrase, um, I'm so embarrassed I could die. A pastor named Levi Lusco pointed this out to me just a few days ago. Um, this is Hebrews 12. Because if shame doesn't end until death, you guys, Jesus died. So Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. So not only did he take all your sin and all your pain, but Jesus on that moment, on that cross, absorbed every last drop of your shame. And in exchange gives you double honor and then he takes your shame into the grave with him. And on the third day, he walks out and he leaves it behind to decay and rot. So that's where you know. Walking with shame, the more you start to get the gospel, because shame feels like I deserve this. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. We all walk around with it thinking I, I deserve this. It feels responsible to feel shame. But the more you understand the backwards gospel of Jesus Christ and the amazing grace that is yours, the more you realize shame is negligence of the gift of God that is now mine. But we hide, we hide behind shame. We hide behind fear. I mean, how many of us, I'll say it this way, shame wants to be the anthem of your soul and fear wants to call every shot in your life and make decisions for you. The disciples realizing, okay, well, they crucified Jesus. Are they gonna do the same thing to us? And they... 
I mean, how many of us, I'm not just talking about your small daily decisions, but the biggest, most monumental decisions of your life, how many of us let fear make those for us rather than you and God designing your future with each other? You let fear push you around and call the shots in your life. I'm too afraid of failing, so I'm not gonna try. I'm too afraid of succeeding, so I'm not gonna try. I've got this imposter syndrome, this fraudulence complex. I'm too afraid of being found out. Welcome to the human experience. That's all of us, by the way. You're not as alone as you think you are. Too afraid that I, I, I'm not gonna have what it takes, that I, that I can't do this. And, and, and before you know it, it's kinda like your, your, your biggest, our biggest prayers as followers of Jesus are no longer about God, make us bold. That's what the disciples pray. God, make us bold that we might go build the church and live like we believe this is true. Our biggest prayers are, Lord, keep us safe. Jesus did not come to sell seatbelts. And I'm all for seatbelts, wear them, obviously. Pray for safety, but how many of us, that's the anthem of our prayers, Lord, protect me and my family. Great. But where are these prayers for boldness? This early church that was as tough as nails. This early church, because Jesus walked out of the grave, walked into this room so they wouldn't stay there. He's like, you're not just saved, you're called. Like we got people to reach, we got a gospel to preach, we got a church to build, let's go. Because this whole thing, this ain't the goal. The goal of life is not to arrive safely at death one day. And we didn't move to Austin five years ago to build this church just to shift into neutral and start playing it safe now. Didn't bring two little kids into the world so that we could show them examples of what it looks like just to live as safe as possible. I picture a gymnast on a balance beam in the Olympics and rather than cartwheels and backflips, she's just holding on for dear life, just thinking, oh, please don't mess up, don't fall, don't. And then finally one day you're standing in front of the judge and dismounts and goes, it's like, well, yeah, you're saved, but I mean, congratulations. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip or trip or fall once. Um, but guys, it's the moment that you realize I'm saved and I'm called that you actually start to live free. It's when you walk out of shame and walk out of fear that you begin to experience, and team, you can come up. This is what it feels like to truly live free. I'm living today with eternity in mind. And this is the concept I'm finishing with that I want you to walk out of here with because 2 Peter 3.13 says, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So my question for you, this idea of eternity, new heaven, new earth, are you looking forward to it? Or, I mean, I think this is just the reality of Western Christianity and I'm not a church critic, I am, I'm a church builder. That's why I'm saying the, I, I, the anthem is sort of eternity is a crutch. That's why 95% of almost all sermons talk about today. Francis Chan, I, I, he, I think he was the one who said, people accuse me of going overboard in planning for my first 10 billion years in eternity. With all due respect, I think y'all go a little overboard planning for your last 10 years here. C.S. Lewis said, it's the Christians who think the most about the next life that are the most effective and free and passionate and joyful and peaceful in this life. That Kenny Chesney song, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. Nobody wants to go now. I know that was pretty good. You don't need, a, you don't need a cheer. I know it was good. I don't need it. Um, but that is, man, that's, it, it becomes like this crutch that just, it, it makes us feel better about losing loved ones. 
makes us feel better about the fact that one day I'm gonna take my final breath because I think God's just got it figured out so I, I can sleep a little bit better. Or are you looking forward, eagerly anticipating eternity? Because that is when you start to live free because what can touch you? You think about the apostle Paul who said to live is Christ, to die is gain. We love to quote that. Have you ever thought about the second half of that verse? To die is gain? You think about Lazarus, Jesus' friend who died, and then four days later, Jesus shows up and says, Lazarus, stop being dead. And so Lazarus stopped being dead, walked out of his tomb. Like, you think anything scared that guy for the rest of his life? How are you gonna scare Lazarus? Lazarus? You think death scares him? Hey, been there, done that. Actually kind of frustrated that Jesus dragged me back here. That's called living free. And this aronophobia, which is not the fear of hell, it's the fear of heaven. I've had it for most of my life. And it's rooted in um, inaccurate descriptions of what eternity is going to be. Because for a lot of us, all we know about heaven is what we see in ethereal paintings or read in, we were forced to read these weird poems in high school or we learned it from the Looney Tunes. And praise God that we're not gonna be chubby babies sitting on white fluffy clouds wearing holy huggies with harps singing hymns for the next 10 trillion years. I love worship, I love Jesus, but that doesn't sound like heaven to me. It sounds like the other place. I don't mean to be offensive, but that's just, that's a lot of singing, man. Isn't it though? Am I alone? Like that's so much. <laughs> Praise God, that's not. Guys, the new earth, Jesus is not gonna blow all this up and start over because technically that would mean the devil wins round one and God will not be bested. He is refining and renewing, not making all new things, making all things new. So I think new earth, the new heavens is gonna, is gonna feel and taste and sound and smell a lot more familiar than you think. Like you, you like hiking now. Man, you just wait till you got resurrected legs and you, you see in colors you ain't ever seen before. You, you think the ocean's powerful now? You think the starry night sky is majestic now? You like sunsets now? You appreciate music or reading a good book now? You love those moments with friends who feel like family over good meals and good drink where you laugh until you cry. You, you like those moments now? Well, then you just wait. You just wait until you and everybody else around you has a redeemed mind and a completed soul and a resurrected body and nobody is auditioning to belong. Everybody is, is in love with being uniquely themselves exactly the way God made you to be. Nobody's insecure. Insecurity is just a distant memory that all of us make jokes about. Nobody's competing for attention. There's no anxiety about tomorrow. Nobody's got a hurried spirit. There's no relational strife. There's no cancer. There's no Alzheimer's. There's no no, there's no acne, there's just us together. There's no cats, I'm kidding, your cat's great, okay? But, there's, but all the other cats, they're not there. It's just us together with God in paradise and it's not a kid's book or a movie or a crutch. It's the realest thing that there is for the rest of forever. And in the meantime, the freedom I'm talking about is like when you got a vacation coming up, it makes your mundane Monday and your typical Tuesday a little bit better because you get to live in anticipation of your Cancun trip. You get to live this life in holy anticipation of what is waiting for you for the rest of forever. You get to live saved. You get to live called by a God who knew you before he made the foundations of the world. And you get to live free.
from shame and fear all the way into forever. And that's why this is the greatest news there is, amen? I'll finish right here. On January 8th, I know I already said I, I'd finish, this is my second close. Who will give me one more minute? Anybody? Got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I got 17 more minutes, okay. January 8th, 2022, this young man by the name of Robert Taylor was playing the slot machines at Treasure Island Hotel in Vegas. This is the third Vegas reference, my gosh, of this Easter message. And I love it because for every one person who is gonna leave this church, 40 others are like, I found my people, man. I found my home. And uh, he's pulling the lever and he hit the jackpot, won $230,000. Only there was a communication error and the machine never triggered the bells and whistles and sounds and so he had no idea. So he left and went to the next casino and the next casino and long story short, the Nevada Gaming Commission, they go through the logs of every single machine to make sure there's no mistakes and, and sure enough, they find out on January 8th of 2022, somebody won the jackpot and the machine didn't notify them. And so they reached out to Treasure Island and said, you need to do whatever you have to do to find this person, track them down because you owe them 230K. It's not their fault they walked away because the machine had an error. That's your fault. You better make this right and go find them. And so how do you do that? So they get the, the security footage and do facial recognition and then they track him to the next casino where they do facial recognition and go, okay, it's the same guy. And they go to the next casino and eventually he gets into an Uber and does a ride share. So they get his information from Uber. They find out his name is Robert Taylor. He lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And they go to the lengths of going to his house in Phoenix and knocking on the front door with one of those giant checks that we all want so bad, you know what I mean? And they say, Mr. Mr. Taylor, we, we're so sorry. We've been looking for you for like a month trying to track you down because we got, we got the best news. You, you hit the jackpot, you had no idea. You are $230,000 richer. How many are like, I want that. Like I went to Vegas last month. Maybe that's me this afternoon, maybe. Um, but there's so many people here and listening right now, I go, that is your story today. That God has been going to the greatest lengths to get you into this room, to get you into the lobby, to get you in, in your headphones right now listening to this, somebody invited you, whatever it is, because you've never heard this story of the gospel before. And now you're here today to, to find out that 2000 years ago you hit the jackpot and you had no idea that this is not religion where you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and clean yourself up and then come back next year and maybe get saved and walk through this door. This has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the bridge builder and the divine door maker, the way maker who came for us because he knew we'd never be able to behave well enough to get to him. And his grace is stronger than all of your sin. I love you. I think you're great. You're not that good, even at sinning, even at messing up. You're not the one person who has shocked God with your ability to fall short. His grace is so much bigger than that. I remember when this happened for me in October of 2008, I walked in on the college, college campus of CU, University of Colorado into a, it was a Tuesday night and I walked into this church service with my long anti-resume of all the reasons God can never want me or use me. And I walked out an hour later, jackpot. My life has never been the same 
sins. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is just a moment for you and God. I wanna extend this invitation that God is speaking to you right now. You thought you were just coming to church to make mom happy today, but you have a divine appointment with the maker of the universe who loves you more than you could ever know. If I got one message to give you, it's please, 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 today is the day of salvation. Do not wait to walk through the one and only door into heaven, it's free. The only cover charge is your confession that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You can know I'm living saved. I know where I'm going for the rest of eternity. And in the meantime, life and life to the full, I'm living called with a purpose from God and I'm living free from shame shame and fear. And if you want that, if you want to say yes to this invitation and put your faith in Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, just be bold. Raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Raise your hand. Be bold. Be brave. Greatest decision you will ever make. Let's go. Come on. To say congratulations and the best decision you've ever made. Like that's the understatement of the century. Let's go, let's go. Nothing magical about a hand raise. It just solidifies something that's already taken place in your heart. Amen, amen, amen. All right, let's do this. Everybody stand up. And Red Rocks, as we stand, let's make some noise because heaven just got more crowded this Easter Sunday. I think the best thing I can do is shut up and pray and we'll worship. So Jesus, you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We worship you. In your name we pray, amen.